You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone, to the PJ's Cast. I am your host, Pierce, joined alongside of uh, Vinny and Spencer. What's going on, boys? Not much, not much at all. Nothing much. Excited for hockey to officially be back tomorrow, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The thing is, I'm hoping my sister move up tomorrow, so I'm hoping I find a time where I can watch the game, but at the very least I'll be caught up on Twitter, and it'll be interesting to just watch everyone be engaged in actual meaning hockey. Obviously, it was nice to watch the a few of the qualifying, or not the qualifying game, like the exhibition games, but watching hockey for real hockey that actually counts and after almost five months of not having it it's it's exciting that it's back and um even though again the exhibition games didn't matter kind of want to touch on the uh the game that the blackhawks played against the blues and they won four nothing honestly it just looked like st louis didn't really care i mean they're the they're the defending stanley cup champions i don't think they had much like of uh like much, uh, what's the word? I don't know, but like, they didn't really care much. But I think it was more meaningful to the Blackhawks just because they're a team that wants to get that confidence going going into the playoff series against the Oilers. Whereas the St. Louis Blues, they're kind of just they're waiting for their opponent because they're one of the top four teams. So uh, yeah, what are your guys? What were you guys' thoughts on that game? You're absolutely right, Pierce. Um, you know, while the Blues might not have been trying their hardest. Um, I think the Hawks really needed to get that game and use it as uh, a confidence booster. I mean, uh, Crawford was in there, looked good, didn't really get a whole lot of high danger chances against. But I mean, he had a couple, some nice saves. But um, yeah, you can't really ask for much more than 11 saves on 11 shots. Um, but yeah, I just with him, I looked at. Uh, I had to key in on just did he look confident? Did he look calm in the net? And I think he did. Um, Kubalik had a good game. Uh, it was a strong defensive performance. I mean, just all around. Uh, they scored a power play goal too, all right? Or two power play goals, right? I think Which so. Is... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really remember Kubelik, that. <laughs> Kubelik got both of them, didn't he? Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, um, yeah. Because I know yeah. the one that Doc gave to him was a part of But, I mean, you're going into a series against the Oilers where, you know, it's going to be a special teams battle. The Oilers have the number one ranked power play and the number two ranked penalty kill. So that's what you want to get going uh, against the Oilers. 
definitely. Uh, the line that definitely stood out, uh, obviously, we already mentioned Dominic Kubalik. The original first line, it was supposed to be Sautés to Brinkett, but then right away they switched to Brinkett with Kubalik, which is what I thought they should have done from the start. Obviously, you got that Nylander Strom came that uh, looked really well in the scrimmages before they came to Edmonton. And you kind of get some depth goal scoring with the Brinkett, Doc, and Kajula. And then you just have that first line that's so dominant, so po- really good at controlling the puck. And it definitely showed against uh, St. Louis. Sod and Taves both looked good. Uh, so did Kubelik. Honestly, Kubelik was the best uh, Chicago Blackhawks player, in my opinion. He could have easily had a hat trick in that game. I remember at the beginning of the game, he got robbed by Bennington on a yeah. great pass. I think it was from Taves. I can't exactly remember, but... Um, yeah, def just, uh, you know, it's always nice to have, it's always good when players like Taze and Kane are going, obviously, but when you have someone like Kubelik going, it just kind of eases everything off of guys like Taze and Kane, and you get more of a team effort that way, so, uh, yeah, the defense, it kind of looked sloppy at first, there were some, they had trouble kind of getting out of the zone, but that's expected just because they hadn't played like a, a game against a po- like an opponent like the St. Louis Blues in so long, so you kind of expect that. But definitely they found their groove as the game went on, and obviously the goaltending, Crawford looked solid. Like you mentioned, Vinny looked calm in the net, and I'm pretty sure there was even a Dylan Strom quote where he said, um, Corey Crawford is just so calm in the net, and that really helps us. And that's going to be something huge going into that Edmonton series is – the goaltending, if Corey Crawford can be on the top of his game, that gives them such a, a big shot at uh, potentially winning that series. So, uh, yeah, um, Spencer, what did you think about the game? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a strong all-around performance by the Hawks. I honestly, I thought St. Louis has come, come out with more effort than they actually did. I mean, you want to get in game-like action as soon as you can, especially before the qualifying round. Uh, especially, I mean, you only have one exhibition game before you're back in uh, playoff-like action, so you want to get as uh, in many game-like situations as possible, power play, penalty kill, all that good stuff. Um, but, I mean, all around, I mean, the Hawks are really effective. Uh, we, already, we already mentioned most of the guys that stood, I mean, Dominic Kubelik, he's, he's, uh, he got moved up right away, that first line with Saad and Taves. Uh, they were really effective all around, too. I mean, uh, they're really effective at even strength uh, defensively. Uh, on the power play as well, cycling the puck. I noticed they had some really good plays when they are cycling the puck as well, but uh, I think uh, it, the depth really showed that game, uh, especially uh, defensively as well. I mean, it was good to see some of the guys back, uh, Calvin Nahan, especially one of them. You could argue he's uh, uh, one of Blackhawks' best defensemen early on in the year before he got hurt, but a uh, guy that really stood out to me in the back end in this game was Lucas Carlson. We kind of talked about him mm-hmm. last game, how sound he was defensively and stuff like that, and how he's able to shut down uh, opposing players. But kind of had some shades of Nick Jalmerson. I don't want to – that's kind of a little lofty, uh, especially early on. But, uh, I mean, he, he had some really good shades in that game. Uh, yeah, just effective all-around performance. Obviously, both goaltenders are really solid too, uh, so that's really good to see. Yeah, Lucas Carlson, just, we brought it up when we had Ben Pope on the podcast, and if you haven't checked that out, uh, we did a podcast with Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times, but he brought up that he thought that Lucas Carlson would be a huge part of the future, and he said he could be a, potentially a second-pairing defenseman, which is, which is huge. It's just amazing how he wasn't this highly touted prospect, and he 
played in Sweden. He made his way to Rockford and just slowly got better and better. And he finally came up and he just looked so calm and poised at the next level. There are even some plays where he carried the puck in deep into the offensive zone and got to the net and got some chances. And you just like the confidence and poise you see. Not only is he doing defensively, but I've noticed some a couple of offensive plays. You know, he's not going to be a dynamic uh, first-pairing defenseman, but I believe he was drafted in the fourth round as an overager. And uh, the fact that the Blackhawks got him, that's a steal. And if he can be a, a second-pairing guy who can just move the puck up the ice, be poised and calm, I think that's a that's a great piece going forward for the Blackhawks. And uh, I just want to bring up that Sautés-Kubalik uh, line again. Obviously, they were dominant. And the, you, the men- biggest part you mentioned there, Spencer, was they were dominant 5-on-5. Five five, and uh, that's going to be huge going against the Oilers as well. Oilers, obviously, Vinny, you brought that up later. They had that historically good uh, first-ranked uh, power play. And they had a very good penalty kill that came in at second. If you can keep the Oilers to 5-on-5, five five, the Blackhawks have a really good chance because they were a better 5-on team than the Oilers. So. Yeah. You look at the you look at the stats, the advanced stats of Leon Dreisaitl. Whenever he was on the ice, he got out, shot, out, attempt, and all that. And same with Connor McDavid. So if you can, you know, have that line, the Saad, the Taze, the Kubalik line, really push play and be solid defensively, take away ice and all that for McDavid and Dreisaitl, they have a really good chance. And I think that line's going to be a big part of it as well. Not that the others won, but like if you're going to put Saad, Taze, Kubalik against McDavid. Or, and or Dreisaitl, then you got to expect them to bring their uh, A game. So uh, you guys have anything uh, more to add before we get on to our next topic? Yeah, I think um, like another guy we didn't mention is Connor Murphy. I think it was nice to see him out there in full force. Uh, obviously, he's had to be careful with a, a groin injury picked up at the start of training camp, and he looked really good out there and didn't look like it was hindering him or hindering him at all. Um, Calvin DeHaan had a quote. He said, uh, it's nice to see Murphy out there running around trying to blow guys up, <laughs> which I thought, was, I thought was funny. But yeah, no, that's it's great to see him out there and looks like he's hundred or basically 100% ready to go. All right. So do you guys want to – so we've – we are going to get into our, our series predictions, but these are going to be our official predictions. Obviously, we previewed the series and even gave our prediction after that. After that but – like some like I think the Edmonton Chicago series we did like almost a couple months and now uh, months ago now so things have kind of changed and we want to give our predictions that are just set in stone we're not going to give uh, much of a reason as to why that is we'll kind of just quick fire it because we've really gone we've gone for the most part in depth for uh, the series so um, uh, do any of you guys want to go first for your predictions? Well, let's I'll I'll start I'll start with uh, the West. Okay. Um, so number five Oilers versus number twelve Blackhawks. Um, I've I've stuck with this prediction all along. Um, I briefly gave it pre- on one of the previous editions of the podcast. Um, I think Chicago's ex- mix of experience and youth with their deep playoff runs. I think Chicago will win in five games. So that that's my official locked in prediction. Uh, moving on, number six Predators versus the number eleven Coyotes. Um, I'm going to go with hmm, Nashville in four games, and then number seven Canucks versus number ten Wild. I originally said uh, previously Vancouver in four, but I'm going to say now Vancouver in five. 
And moving on to the number eight Flames versus the number nine Jets. Uh, I'm going to go with Calgary in five games. <laughs> it's a tough yeah, one. Yeah, that one's a tough one too. All right, so now moving, series, I think. moving on to the East. This one's really easy. The number five Penguins versus the number 12 Canadians. Uh, just, uh, we're going with the Penguins sweep in three games. Um, now this one. Number six Hurricanes versus number 11 uh, Rangers. Uh, this one's really interesting. Another one I think that's going to go five games. I'm going to go with Carolina in five. Um, then number number seven Islanders versus the number ten Panthers. Um, I'm going to go with the Islanders in four. And last but not least, might make some people angry with this, but number eight Maple Leafs versus the number nine Blue Jackets. Um, I'm going to go with Columbus in five games. So there you go, locked in. All right, a lot of, a lot of five game predictions. But yeah, it's weird saying that. Yeah, oh yeah, it's going the distance. Yeah, it's going five games. <laughs> yeah, um, not seven, five. Yeah. All right, Spencer, do you want to go? All right. So Edmonton versus Chicago. I'm gonna go. This one's tough, but I'm gonna go with uh, Chicago at five. I don't. I don't. Honestly, I'm not trying to be biased here either. But I mean, I'm just gonna give a little quick explanation because I feel like. Kind of to Vinny's point, I feel like experience is going to come into full force for Chicago in the series. Uh, kind of give them that advantage. But moving on, Nashville versus Arizona. Oh, this one's kind of tough too. <laughs> I think I think I might go with Nashville in five. All right, next one, Vancouver versus Minnesota. I'm going to go with Vancouver in five here. Um, Calgary versus Winnipeg. This one's kind of tough too because we kind of touched on his yeah. last podcast. Yeah, how seesaw. if if uh, Connor Hellebuck like he could really shine in this series and shut out um, he could really shut out the Flames. Uh, but I feel like this I feel like this is gonna go Calgary in five. And then moving on, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh versus Montreal. I mean, I said I was being a little generous there, too, with Pittsburgh in four, I think. Yeah. I'm going to actually change this up. I'm going to go Pittsburgh in three. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Carolina versus the Rangers. I'm going to go with Carolina in five. Islanders versus Panthers. I remember talk about this a little while ago as well. I'm going to go with the Islanders in four. And then last but not least, Toronto versus Columbus. Um, I'm going to go with Columbus in five. So that's hey, my predictions. Locked, locked in. Yeah. All right. I'll quick for our mind. So originally I had the Blackhawks in five. Uh, oh. But I don't know, man. Ooh. I'm changing it. To, I think I'm going to go Oilers in five. <laughs> I, it's close. I like... It's so it close. Really like, yeah. I mean, like, I gotta the, be honest. If the Blackhawks win, I'm not surprised. And if the Oilers win, I'm not surprised. I wow. Honestly, yeah. no matter what happens, I think it's going to be one of the most interesting series to watch. You got Can't the, say it better. Yeah. yeah. You, got, you got the Chicago Blackhawks that haven't won a playoff series in five years, haven't won a, a playoff game in 
four years, so they're hungry to win. And obviously, the Edmonton Oilers, they haven't made the playoffs in three years. And McDavid and Dreisfeld, they're hungry for a run. And, of course, Kate and Taves, they're hungry for another run as well. And you just got those stacked offenses. And honestly, it can go either way, but I'm going to go Oilers in five. But I wouldn't be shocked if Chicago won it. I just think no matter the outcome, it's going to be a fun, great series, not just for Blackhawks and Oilers fans to watch, but uh, hockey fans abroad. So, yeah. And honestly, it's like I've mentioned so many times, it's house money for the Blackhawks. If they win, they win. And if they lose, like, they get that, they still got that experience. They're going to get a top 10 pick, maybe even first overall pick if they get lucky enough. So, I'm okay with what happens. You know, I'm going to cheer them on. But if they lose, then, well, they lose. I guess it's hockey. Um, Next one, you guys both went Predators. I'm going to go Coyotes in five. I really like uh, their goaltending that they have in Arizona. They can go either goalie and they'd be fine. And they have sleeping giants with Taylor Hall and Phil Castle that could really turn it on. And Nashville, I just. I don't know. I'm not sold with their goaltending. I'm not sold with their offense. I just, I don't know. I think Coyotes take it, but it's going to be a closer one. Yeah. Can I just, can I just mention something? Yeah. So you guys, did you guys see what happened with Schmaltz? Yeah, Yeah, I I saw that. uh, So is, I don't know. I don't, has, has there been any sort of report on him? Is he? Mm -hmm. Not that I've seen, no. Because if he has a concussion, ooh. Man, I don't know. That it's wasn't a good not, hit either. Not, not good for the Coyotes. No, it should have. He's a big should've, piece for them. Yeah, it should have been suspendable and, and without yeah. a doubt. Who was it again? Yeah. Reeves. Yeah, it was Reeves. Reeves. Yeah, yeah it was. It people, wasn't a good hit. People yeah. saying his head, like, "Oh, keep your head up." I mean, no. What, he, what, he, like, what, did you see the intent? Like he elbowed. What, yeah. What difference does it make when the only contact he makes is with the guy's head? Yeah. Like I mean, and with his elbow. But yeah, anyways, yeah, go, go on, Pierce. It's, it's it's something interesting to think about. Yeah, I don't know. I just I don't know. I don't. I I want to see the Coyotes succeed. So yeah. I I picked them. Nashville. I just feel like, like I don't know. Um, Canucks versus Wild. I have the Canucks in four. Um, more I've kind of thought about it. I'm like Minnesota. Maybe they're a bit, a bit underrated, but I still expect Vancouver to take it. Obviously, we brought this up. Calgary versus Winnipeg. This is going to be a close one. Um. Obviously, the, the key factor here is Connor Hellebuck, and I'm a huge believer in Connor Hellebuck. I think he can shake off the rust, but obviously it's going to be a close series, but I think the Jets taking in five again. It's just one of those series that can go either way. I'm not shocked if Calgary wins onto the East. Pittsburgh versus Montreal. I'm with you guys. I'm giving Pittsburgh that clean sweep, and I'm pretty sure that's what I chose in the first place. Next one is also a very interesting one. It's my playoff series to watch in the East. Um, Carolina versus the New York Rangers. I have the Hurricanes in five, but I think the Rangers are going to push it as close as they possibly can because they have an absurd, like a, a stupid good record against the Carolina Hurricanes for the past how many years? I can't even remember. Like I, when we had Ben Pope on, I think he said they won thirty of the past thirty-five. Yeah, it's something like that. Something like it's that. crazy. Crazy. No, wow. But I didn't know that. Yeah. I think the Hurricanes. It's going to kind of be their their scare in the first round, but I think or the qualifying round, whatever it is. But I think they move on in a very close five games. But honestly, if the Rangers win, it wouldn't shock me either. It's going to be a close series. It's going to be a fun series. And, yeah, Um, Islanders versus the Panthers. I won Islanders in four. It's just, again, goaltending, even though it has been, like, almost five months, that just seems like a huge factor to me. What are you going to get out of Sergei Bobrovsky? With the New York Islanders, you know you're going to get that uh, uh, consistent defensive structure, that hard game from the New York, Barry Trouts and the New York Islanders. So, 
I'm going to go Islanders in four. And as for the last one, originally I had Columbus winning in five, but I'm going to be nice and give the Maple Leafs in five. It really wouldn't surprise me um, if the Blue Jackets won. But the thing is, I, I've listened to, like, I've heard this point a lot. It's We're going to see a lot of games out the bat where it's kind of uh, run and gun. There's not a ton of structure. And I think the Maple Leafs could take advantage of that early on. But if Columbus gets uh, their their defensive structure right away, I could definitely see them taking. But I'm going to go Maple Leafs in five. And yeah, there's a, those are all my predictions. Lock them in. I'm not changing them at all, and that's what they're going to be. So there you go. There's our predictions. You can <laughs> you can hold us to them if we change it somehow. These are our official predictions. So yeah. Um, besides, obviously, the Chicago and Edmonton series, what are some uh, uh, qualifying series that kind of interest you guys? And also the Carolina, besides the Carolina and New York Rangers, besides those two series, um, what are some uh, like series that intrigue you guys? I'm gonna go. I'm going with Columbus, uh, Columbus, and wait, why can't I remember who they're Toronto. playing? Columbus Toronto. and Toronto, because the center of uh, the hockey universe. Yeah. So Columbus and Toronto. Now, I have a few motives for this series. Now, obviously, number one that is gonna that uh, intrigues me a lot is that the Leafs have a lot of pressure on them to get something done in the playoffs. Um. And I think that mix versus Columbus, who's probably who knows this, they know they know what they know how much pressure the Leafs must be feeling, and I think they're going to use that to their advantage. And you're just going to see Columbus play their typical style. And it, I mean, for Toronto, it's just do the best you can do because you know what Columbus is going to be bringing to the table, and we'll see if they can handle it. So that that one for me. Yeah, now that you bring that up, it brings up a lot of questions. What does Toronto do if they exit in not even the first round of qualifying round against the Blue Jackets? Like, it's not even the Bruins, it's the Blue Jackets. Do they? It's interesting. What do they do? Because it's only a five-game series, but do you or do you just blow it up or do you wait another year? It's, uh, I do not envy uh, Kyle Dewis there. So, uh, Spencer, what's uh, maybe an underrated series that you have? Uh, I'm actually really excited for the Rangers in the Carolina series. Oh, we already brought um, that. Yeah. Um, but another series, even though, I mean, we've kind of mentioned this one a lot, though. I mean, Edmonton-Chicago is kind of a good one, like a really good one. It's exciting, yeah. a lot of offensive talent. I mean, too much offensive to talent to deny there, uh, especially with uh, the Hawks to see how they uh, come back after uh, – since they haven't been in the playoffs in a few years, I'm kind of excited to see how they uh, perform. But Edmonton, you got McDavid, you got Dreisaitl. Um, they got they kind of got Kyler Yamamoto to emerge. He kind of emerged in the exhibition game, so we'll kind of see what happens there with him. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, the offensive talent on display there. Uh, all around, it's just going to be really exciting. So a little biased, but it's all right. Yeah, I said to bring up like a series not that's not Chicago, Edmonton, or the Rangers, uh, Hurricanes. That's all right though. Uh, one series I have that's underrated, and I think that could be underrated: Vancouver versus Minnesota. Um, Vancouver, true. you have a lot of offense there with uh, like I mentioned, Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson, uh, J.T. Miller is lumped into that group now. Uh, Brock Besser, I think, is supposed to be a back. Tyler Toffoli, and then um, uh, I think. Uh, 
Minnesota, they're they're really underrated. Like Ben Pope brought up on the podcast too, a lot of their their uh, players were really good defensively. And I one player I really want to see again that we brought up uh, Kevin Fiala. I want to see how he does kind of as the main guy because in when he was in Nashville, he wasn't really the main guy, but on Minnesota, he's their um, their main guy, the main offensive producer. So I want to see what he does. And uh, I honestly, for Minnesota's end, I don't know who their goalie is going to be. So. I think this could be, even though as good as defensively as Minnesota is, this maybe has the potential to be a high goal scoring series. I don't know, but I'm kind of low key looking forward to Vancouver, Minnesota, mostly just to watch Vancouver because of Patterson. But I don't know. I'm so I, excited I, to watch. I, yeah, I really like Kevin Fiala too, and I think uh, he's like one of the few players the Wild have ever had where it's like, wow, this guy's actually exciting to watch. So uh, kind of like Marion Gabrick, kind of yeah. like the, the yeah, guy Marion Gabrick was for them a little while ago. Definitely. Um, okay. Uh, so we got a question from Tate, of course. So, <laughs> um, ooh, this is an interesting one. Uh, the first one, there's like I think there's like five of them. But uh, the first one is, do you have any mock trades for this coming off season? So oh, uh, that's tough. To, that's tough. That's to kind say. of a, that's kind of firing it right off the bat. I'm, but I, I can go. I'm trying not to think that far ahead just yet. Yeah. Sure. I'll give you one. So That's I did an tough. article. I have to plug this. Uh, our, our, medium, uh, our medium publication that I do with Wally and Charles. It's you should check it out. It's Crow's Nest. But uh, in that one, I did, I did an article with uh, the the armchair GM for uh, what's it called? Cap Friendly, which I love to do so much. Um, I don't know if this is a realistic trade, but uh, what I did was I sent uh, uh, Brandon Saad to New Jersey for their 17th overall pick, which was, by the way, from Vancouver, and as well as Nick Merkley, who's an RFA, just kind of as like a depth guy or whatever, roster player for roster player, even though he's not as good as Saad. And funny thing about Nick Merkley, this is going a bit off, Nick Merkley was the pick that uh, Arizona made that they got from Chicago when they traded for Vermette. So there's that. There's a link there. Um but uh, New Jersey, they have three first-round picks. If they get rid of that, it'll be two. They'll still have two. They get a, a player back like Brandon Saad, who is a very good two-way forward, has two Stanley Cups, has that experience. Maybe a bit overplayed. As much as I love Brandon Saad, I wouldn't pay him $6 million if we had the chance to do it again. But I think he could be a great top-six player to play alongside of uh, Jack Hughes. Or maybe you go with Nico Heischer and you just make this really good offensive or uh, defensive uh, shutdown line. But uh, it kind of makes sense. And then Chicago, they're dumping cap. They're getting just like a like a depth player with Nick Merkley, but then the Chicago Blackhawks they can do whatever the hell they want with that uh, mid first round pick. They can swing for the fences. I don't know, but this kind of uh, brings into the next question: If the Hawks draft Yaroslav Askarov, how long until he is NHL ready? So Spencer, I think you might have the most insight on this. So because you're, I know you you love prospects. So what would you think about that? I I mean it just kind of depends on when he's willing to come over. First off. I think yeah. by the time he comes over to North America, he's going to be NHL ready. Um, he's already gotten some pro experience with uh, SKA St. Petersburg in the KHL this season, which is which is pretty rare for a goaltender to do, especially. I mean, you don't see a goaltender uh, do that too often in that high of a program, uh, especially the KHL, uh, arguably probably the second best league in the world behind the NHL. Uh, but with the Scarf, I mean, it's it's tough to say because I feel like he might be the best option available for the Hawks because I mean 
the Hawks, I honestly, I feel like a goaltender is what they need most. Uh, Eskov, mm, absolutely. Eskov, especially for the future, because there's no real plans there with the goaltending just yet. Obviously, Corey Crawford, we can, be, we can still have him for a few couple more years but he's not going to be here forever so you're gonna have to get somebody else for the long run but uh especially because we don't have that true high-end goaltending prospect in our system and i feel like that yeah. with the scar that just solidifies that um kind of like he could be in the long run maybe like a vasilevsky or sergey Bobrovsky type uh but i've going back to the question i just feel like it's just a matter of when he's actually willing to come over because we see um, the complications with Russian prospects and their contract situations all the time. Um, I mean, it's just normal, um, especially, like, you look at guys like Panera and you look at guys like Kaprizov this year. He took, like, five years to come over. So it's it's just, yeah, it's just a matter of when he's actually willing to come over. But by the time uh, when that happens, um, he'll definitely be ready to play in the NHL, in my opinion. So... So I looked up Yaroslav Askarov's uh, contract when it ends. So it's signed through 2021 to 22. So in the summer of 2022, he could come over to uh, North America. That's if he. That's realistic possibility. Yeah. So that's only what a couple years away. Time to see. Yeah, I'd say two or three years down the line, at least. To become like a full NHL starter, I'd say like five years. Yeah. That's like I think five years he could be a starting goalie, like a, a good one too. Two years for him mm-hmm. to come over, then he spends maybe a couple years in Rockford. I think that's real much realistic for a scarf. Maybe he gets called up mid-year. One of those years gets a bit of a taste, but I'd say five years for a scarf. And honestly, from a goaltending perspective, that's incredibly early. R- rarely do we see yeah. goalies make the jump that early, unless you're Carter Hart. I think he was only 21 when he made the jump. And oh, yeah. even guys like yeah. Ilya Samsonov in Washington, who was drafted, I think, in the mid-first round, it took him like five years to get over or something to even get uh, experience. So, yeah, goaltending, uh, again, it's it's a, it's a very risky pick. But, again, you want to swing for the fences and you want to get that potential franchise goalie, <laughs> then that's what Yaroslav Askarov is. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Vinny, what do you think about that? Um. I think you'll see him in his early 20s in the NHL. Uh, But for me, I think it's just a wait-and-see type of thing. Like you said, Spencer, with the guys in Russia playing in the KHL, you don't know when they want to come over, when their contract and stuff like that. So I think you'll see him play a couple seasons in the KHL, see how that goes for him, and then you got to bring him over and Start him in Rockford is probably right. So I think uh, you mentioned Carter Hart coming at 21 years old. I think it'll be a relatively similar situation with Yaroslav Askarov. All right. Um, hang on. The second part of his question. Uh, so we got to ask this again. Will Dylan Sekiro score 20 goals and 40 assists or 60 points? It's just a meme that'll never die. In the um, playoffs? <laughs> in the playoffs, yes. To answer your yeah. question, Tate, yes. Uh, in the playoffs right he now. Even gave a, he even gave us like another uh, tweet after that. Okay, okay, so point prediction for Dominic Kubelik next season. Ooh. Oh, man. Mm. I'm going to be bold. 30 goals, 30... No, 35 goals, 25 assists, 60 points for Dominic that, Kubelik. That is what... I, I think so, too. Um, if he... If he's on... 
if on that first line and that you saw the magic that him and Taves are able to produce, uh, I think, yeah, 60 points at least. I mean, you probably, I, I think he can score 30 goals again. And the reason I think that uh, is because you saw this past season uh, how he scored most of his goals at five on five. I was going to say that's a huge point. Yeah, yeah. He didn't even get any power play time. That was all even strength. Yeah. And so you have that kind of basic, uh, uh, basic estimation where <clears throat> at, at absolute worst he's gonna he's gonna be able to score five on five goals, and that's why I think he'll get at least thirty again next year, and I'll say thirty five assists for sixty five points. All right, and that's the thing. Like we didn't really even use Dominic Kubalik correctly. There was a couple games where we scratched him, and he still got thirty goals in spite of that. And he's a Calder finalist, so I can very much see him scoring thirty plus goals, getting to that sixty point range if he keeps it up. And yeah, Spencer, how about you? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we talked about how good he was at even strength and five on five play this year. I mean. And when you give the guy some power play time, he's going to explode next year, in my opinion. So I think, uh, I don't, I don't think thirty-five. I think uh, thirty-five to forty goals is a real possibility. I'd say thirty-five minimum, um, sixty points probably, or at least around there. So, but um, I'm yeah, it's honestly just surprising how like a guy like that. He's playing so well throughout the season. He just didn't get any power play time. <laughs> he didn't really get that much power play time. So. But uh, I feel like next season, um, once he's able to get that power play time, he plays more yeah. uh, in that power play role. I feel like he's just—he's definitely going to be uh, scoring some more power play goals. So, but I'm really excited to see how Kubik does next season. I think that's yeah. definitely a realistic possibility. So, and I mean, the, the Hawks' power play can't get any worse, right? So yeah. I mean, like, if, if, if you think about <laughs> it, doesn't it, make sense. If he's on the first power play unit, and he can just replicate what he did five on five. I mm-hmm. mean, 35, 40 goals is, is all of a sudden like, I, I don't want to say expected because it's not easy, but like, yeah, I think he'll like, he can do it. And he's got a real good shot too. I mean, he can score yeah. from many different areas. So if you can set him up on that, like right face off circle uh, on a strong side, you could definitely get um, some good, some good shots out of him, some good one timers and stuff like that. So, but he he has the ability to score in many different ways. It just surprised me that he's not even getting that much power play time. So, but and you you certainly like the odds, is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah. You remember that goal he scored against Toronto where Taze like flipped it to oh him and he God. scored like basically <laughs> it out of the air. Like he can score any way. He can he has an amazing shot. He's got the hand eye. He can just he can just do it all. I just I just love how Taves reacted to that goal too. I mean it just summed it up. Like <laughs> just like hands on his head, like I like he just Taves comes in the in the zone on the backhand and a backhand saucer pass just flings it over. And I mean it's gotta be at least like a foot off the ice. And he whacks it top shelf. So, I mean, yeah. All right. Um, so, we have some more questions for Tate. Again, Tate, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for providing us with these questions. Yeah, it's filling up the time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, all right, next question. What is Boakfist's and uh, Mitchell's ceilings? Will either of them pan out to be a true number one D-man? Well, Pierce. Uh, yeah. 
uh, Pierce, I know, I know, uh, you've kind of influenced me on on uh, what it means to be a true number one D man, and like you can be the you can be the top D man on a team and still not technically be a true number one defenseman, um, which basically, I mean, it's so it's oh, it's just so hard to gauge. I mean, dip, everyone thinks about it differently, but I think. Anyways, with Boakvist, I think he'll be a top pairing guy. Um, I don't, I don't think he'll be a true number one, but I think he'll be a real good number two. And as for Ian Mitchell, I'd say just below a top pairing D man, like a, like a number three. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, Boakvist, I just don't know if he's going to have the defensive play. Obviously, he's going to have the great uh, offensive play, the great offensive skills, the ability to push play and skate and all that. I just don't know if he has the the defense or even physicality, for that matter, to be like a number one defenseman. And when I think of a number one defenseman, I think of Nick Litch. He was wearing, winning Norris trophies when he won that con Smythe. Eric Carlson, when he was winning, wearing all that... Uh, winning all those Norrises and almost dragging the Senators to the final on like what what one leg or whatever it was one foot, <laughs> um, that's what I think of. But uh, Bokefist, uh, there's nothing wrong in being like a top pairing defenseman. It's just it's such a it's so hard to be that true number one defenseman. As for Mitchell, I think he can be again a number three, a number four, a good second, uh, solid second pairing defenseman. Could potentially play top pair in the pinch and say someone like Wokefist gets injured in the future or whatever. But uh, yeah, you no matter what, you got to be excited for the futures of uh, Wokefist and Mitchell. So uh, Spencer, what do you think? Uh, I think I agree. I think Wokefist can be strong number two. I mean, you kind of look at like let's say like Duncan Keith did early on in his uh, stages I mean, with Chicago when he's uh, performing at uh, like Norris contention and all of that. I think. I don't. I don't really see Boquist becoming a true number one. I can. I could still be see him uh, having such be a strong offensive player and being a capable number two and being maybe uh, half the guy he is defensively. But I don't see him like rounding out his game completely to be um, like a stud all around defenseman. But I think I. Yeah, I. I feel like with Mitchell, I kind of agree with Vinny. I feel like he could be a strong number three. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of tough at first, like, to kind of see, I'm still kind of, like, deciding to kind of see where he, like, fits in with the team first off. I mean, it's just tough to see, like, see where his role, role is on the team to start with, especially with, like, how much depth they have on the right side already. But in the long run, I could see, I could definitely see Mitchell being a strong number three, so. Uh, um, last question from Tate. Uh, we kind of talked about it with the like the mock uh, trades, but what players might be on their way out this off season? And uh, we were kind of talking oh. to Ben Pope, and we brought up Dominic Kubalik or Dylan Strom, and he said that it might be it's not out of the realm that one of them might be gone, especially Dylan Strom, <laughs> uh, potentially this off season. And Brandon Sod is obviously in the mix. So uh, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on it? So here's how I see it. So. So we got so just to be clear, so we got Kubalik, Strom, Kajula, Cuckoo. Yeah. And is, that's your main four, right? Yeah, and then Crawford's um, a UFA, but I don't. Oh think yeah, sorry, yeah, I forgot about Crawford. I don't think there's forgot about Crawford. There, honestly. Um, my, yeah. <laughs> well, with Crawford in that mix, you so you gotta you you just gotta take it one step at a time, kind of right? Like, 
you want to keep, you got to make sure in my eyes, I, I think you got to make sure that you keep Strom, you keep Crawford and you keep Kubalik. Now, however they do that, uh, they're going to have to figure that out, but um, it's going to be a tight squeeze. <laughs> that's for sure. Yep. Um, I'm, it's going to be tough. Yeah, it's going to be tough for sure. But I feel like if there's anyone I'd hope they could try to move out, it would be someone like Olimata because things haven't really worked out to what uh, we kind of expected in his first season in Chicago, especially with how many lefties we have in the system and coming up uh, in the long run. I don't feel like um, even DeHaan too. Yeah. I mean, you could kind of look at like making – potentially that move even even if worse comes to worse but i mean with mata i look at try to moving try to move him because he still has kind of a little bit of a lofty kind of a little bit of a hefty cap hit uh it's not like terribly bad but i mean it's not too good either it's like four million bucks i think so but you're gonna you're gonna want to clear as much space as you can to resign someone like kubalik obviously crawford uh for those few extra seasons uh and everyone else we have as well so but i i definitely look at moving someone like mata right away so and also i think i think uh zach smith is another guy like, so i think i think if there's two guys that you really want to get rid of right away it's him and like you said mata um and i think if they can get rid of those two guys they shouldn't have a problem really in my eyes yeah, just looking at the cap friendly right now, they already have spent uh, seventy four million dollars, seventy four point one million dollars. So that re- leave them roughly like uh, seven point. Uh, trying to do the math here, seven point three million dollars, roughly around there. Um, that, that simply won't be enough to get yeah. rid of uh, or get uh, Crawford, Kubalik, Strom, which are the main pieces. And obviously, if you wanted to resign Cuckoo and uh, which I think they um, do. Yeah, and Kajula, it's just not going to be enough. Yeah. So we'll do some math here, 7.3 uh, or whatever it was. And, <laughs> and is... so they obviously got to make some moves, right? I mean, yeah. but you got so, and that's why we bring up Zach Smith and Olimata, because those are two obvious, uh, two obvious uh, glaring buyout options that they have. And I think what, so Zach Smith makes, what, 3.5 or something? Yeah. And they're in a tough spot with Andrew Shaw. Three point two five. Yeah, and Andrew Shaw. That's another one. I so three point two five, and then and then you add on uh, you add on Mata, who's four point four point two five. He's like, like yeah, a little bit it's over 4.08, four. 4.08, and then Zach's yeah. 3.25. So with those two guys, I'm, with with a bio that just clears right off the cap, right? Pretty sure. I think a bit of it counts. I I I'm it not counts, but I'm either not, way, yeah. So you, let's just say like you you uh, you clear like six mil with those guys. So now you add you add that six mil onto that seven, and now all of a sudden you're at thirteen mil in space, and that looks way better. Yeah, Kubalik. I again, I I haven't really seen any numbers on what Kubalik might want. So you think like three point three for Kubalik, maybe under four million for Dylan Strom. That's about. Uh, Again, math I can't do is like 7.2, something like that. And then Crawford, you add in for, I don't know, like $5 million. That's like up to 12. And then you got a little bit of space to sign either Cuckoo or Cajula or they find another way. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, they're definitely going to have to make moves. And, again, I brought up Brandon Todd earlier. It's going to be interesting to see if they uh, potentially move on from I don't yeah. know. But uh, definitely it's going to be interesting. 
the important thing the important thing here is that they have options they have glaring options here to wiggle and uh, make some cap space so we'll see what happens yeah the and the more important thing right now is that um they're playing actually playing hockey tomorrow so tomorrow um (laughs) Yeah, we're not, I mean, we obviously focus on this, but uh, there's something bigger ahead that there's actually Chicago Blackhawks playoff hockey. I don't know. And we are all very excited. Yeah, it's qualifying series, but uh, they said all the playoff stats, it's going to count towards playoff stats, so you know what, we're just going to call it the playoffs, the Blackhawks. They maybe they never thought they'd be in this position again, like Taves and Kane and Keith and all those guys being in a playoff position. Maybe that exhilarates them and they go on a, a relatively deep run. Maybe they win this Oilers series, push it close in the second series. They get that experience. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch tomorrow, the Chicago Blackhawks. Do you, get, you guys have anything else to add? Where, uh, I think we've pretty much done everything. It's a bit of a shorter podcast, especially compared to when I had Ben Pope on. But, uh, yeah, we just wanted to quickly get this out. And uh, yeah. hockey's on tomorrow. We're excited <clears throat> all that. So do you guys have anything else to add? Well, uh, we're thinking about doing a podcast after every game. Oh, we will and be. It, it, yeah, will be. yeah. So that'd probably be like thirty minutes. We'll we'll go over uh, the Hawks game and maybe uh, if anyone has any thoughts about any of the other games that happened that day. Um, but yeah, that's that's what our, that's kind of what our plan is right now. Yeah. So for tomorrow we have not just the Blackhawks and Oilers that's at uh, 2 p.m. Central then you got the Rangers Hurricanes at 11 Central Panthers Highlanders at uh, 3 Central Canadians and Penguins at 7 Central and then the Jets and Flames 9 30 Central so five games tomorrow it's gonna be exciting it's it's weird that it's back but you know what once you get you start watching it's not gonna be weird at all it's gonna be a lot of fun so uh, Vinny and uh, Spencer thank you for coming on once again uh, thanks for joining, and uh, to everyone out there, hope you're staying safe, washing your hands, social distancing, wearing masks, all that stuff, and blah, blah, blah. So Be safe, everybody. For, yeah, for Pierce and the boys, thanks for tuning in, everyone, and we'll see you next time, or talk to you next time, I guess. Peace.